Support for Long Form this week comes from listening. If you've ever had to rip through a huge pile of academic papers, you know how painful it can be to spend all that time staring at a piece of paper. Listening makes it really simple to convert anything you have to read into spoken words that you can enjoy on the go. Uses AI to generate realistic voices that sound like actual human beings. Plus, it comes with a powerful set of tools that allows you to do stuff like skip over non-essential text, but also take notes with one click. Your life just got a lot easier. Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout. Hello, welcome to the Longform Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, Aaron Lammer, Evan Ratliff. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. Hello, Max. Who's on the show this week? We got two people on the show this week. The first is Nancy Updike. Nancy is a longtime producer at This American Life. She has been there from the start. She has made many of your favorite This American Life stories. Uh, the second person is someone that both of you know very, very well, Janelle Pfeiffer, longtime editor of the Longform Podcast. She edited the three of us for years. She is now at Serial, and her first project at Serial was producing a three-episode series that is hosted by Nancy. It's called We Were Three, and it's about a woman. Her name is Rachel McKibbins, who's a poet and a writer. And last fall, Rachel lost her brother and her father in very quick succession to COVID. They lived uh, all the way across the country. She was pretty out of touch with them at the time. And the show is about her trying to figure out both where they were, where her brother and her father were when they died, and also where the three of them were. So processing sort of their uh, their whole lives. It really sounds pretty different than most podcasts I've heard. And I really wanted to have Nancy on to talk about it. But I've also wanted to have a producer on alongside a host on one of these podcast episodes for a long time. And truly, you guys... Who, who else should be the first producer to come on with a host other than Janelle Pfeiffer? Who better? For people who don't listen to the credits of shows like me, uh, Janelle edited hundreds of episodes of this podcast. It's a true pleasure to have her back on, uh, I guess it's not the other side of the microphone, on the other side of the computer. <laughs> and uh, thanks to her for, for everything she did for the show. And I'm really excited to hear this episode and listen to the show, which I haven't heard yet, but I've heard it's awesome. Our show is brought to you in partnership with... Vox, our thanks to them. Uh, now here's Max with Nancy Updike and Janelle Pfeiffer. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Max. Hi, Janelle. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. This feels um, momentous. <laughs> this is the first time that we have had a former editor of the show on the show I will admit I feel more anxious and nervous than I even normally do, knowing that Janelle is going to be editing me in her head. <laughs> oh my god! Talk. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> no, I feel like most of my energy will be editing myself this time. So you're you're off the hook. <laughs> fair, fair. I don't enough. know. You have a lot of energy. You might have some left over. Uh, true. Yeah. Maybe I can <clears throat> double task. Well, yeah, Janelle. If I you know screw anything up, you can just tell me in the moment, and I'll rephrase the question. But. Here is where I would like to start, if you don't mind. Can you recap this story? Do you have a short version of it that makes sense to you? I don't. 
<laughs> I don't have a short version. Why do you think that is? Well, I'll tell you what I tell people. I say it's it's a story that's um, sort of about COVID, a bit about COVID, but really about a family. And that's the closest I've gotten to a short version. I don't know. I, I, why is that? I never have a short version of something I'm working on. Never. And I never like to talk about what I'm working on for that exact reason. People will ask me and I'll be like, I don't know, I'm just working on some stuff. I just kind of trail off and then like go like eat a snack or something. Because I don't, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is in its condensed form, actually. I just know the thing that I made. Do you think that's says something about the stories that you're drawn to, that they can't be um I'm sure somebody summarized. else could easily summarize them. In fact, Janelle probably could do it fine. You wrote, like, five different versions of the blurb about the show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would, never, I would never say that, you know? Yeah. If somebody asked me what the show is about, I would never say... I wouldn't say like last that, fall. Rachel McKibben's got a tweet. Well, got a text from her brother. You're talking about the trailer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about the tagline. You know, like I understand why we have to write those, and I know, and I'm glad that they exist and they need to exist. But I don't have those as a response to the question, "What is the story about?" Perhaps this is something I will get better at as I mature. So. If you don't have a ton of access to what the quick summary of it is, what was the story about for the two of you? Like, if you can't tell me what happened, can you tell me why you did it? I I read, so Rachel McKibbins is a poet and a writer, and she tweeted last fall, about a year ago, about her father dying. And her father and brother lived together, and she was tweeting about his death of COVID in the context of having found out that he died without having known that he was even sick. When her brother texted her to say, Dad's dead, she did not know that he had had COVID. So she tweeted about this, and then her, her brother died quite soon after that, even though she had talked him into going to the hospital. And she tweeted about that too. And I I read all of that and the story itself of, of their deaths and her despair at finding out that they had died and their, their deaths falling so quickly one after the other was, I mean, you know, gut-wrenching. And also there were elements in things that she that she tweeted that hinted at and sometimes, you know, pointed explicitly at larger other problems within within her family. And some of them were, seemed to be problems that I was familiar with that were not about COVID, but that had intersected with COVID in a lot of people's lives and um, and had been deadly in these in these two cases. So I emailed her and said, you know, hey, you may never want to talk to a reporter about this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry for these just devastating back-to-back -back losses. But if you, if you ever 
do want to talk to somebody, I would I would love to talk to you more about what happened and your family. And she wrote back. And um, I went in not knowing what the story was, but wanting to find out what it was. I didn't have a, a summary. I had a bunch of questions. And even in the reporting of the story, I mean, there were a few different times when, when Rachel turned to me and said, what is this story about? <laughs> and Could you answer her when she asked? We talked about it. We talked about it. I mean, I've never done a story with, with a writer before either, with, a, with somebody who tells, tells stories, also writes, also is kind of thinking about, about that all the time. And I didn't have one answer. I mean, the answer is, is what the story became. And Janelle has, I'm sure, more succinct things to say about that. I just have an observation, which is that I remember... At the very beginning of developing the show, this story was part of a slightly different project. This story was potentially going to be one of a few stories told as part of a more of an anthology type show. And when we were exploring that version of it, we were doing a lot of talking about for Nancy, like what are the questions that kind of unite the stories that we have here or like what are the driving questions that you tend to be attracted to and there are a few things we came up with one of which was like that you tend to gravitate toward stories where somebody is in the middle of something that they don't know what to make of yet and you just kind of want to sit with them and see like what direction they walk in or what they say or what meaning they put onto something. And I feel like that really holds true with Rachel's story. She was in this moment where like the dust hadn't settled yet and she was feeling 35 different things at once and those 35 things changed from minute to minute. And she was able to articulate them, which I think connects Nancy to what you're talking about about having a, a writer as the subject of a story yeah. like this. Like, she was able to put words to her own 35 things, yeah. you know, and how they were shifting in, in this beautiful way. And I, I do want to talk more about what it was like to make something about and with someone like Rachel. But I wouldn't say that there's anyone like her. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good asterisk. I would agree with that. But maybe this is connected to the anthology thing. But another question that I feel like we got to get at early here is, was that anthology show about COVID? No. And or were you were you looking for a COVID story? No, definitely not. And not because I was against COVID stories or not interested in, in COVID, but it was not it was not something that I was looking for. And it wasn't, it wasn't the thing that, that struck me about her story either, exactly. It did feel like it. this is about right now. This is, I mean, the story is, is alive, like, in this person right now. Because these deaths had just happened, and somehow she was willing to, to talk to 
to me at that moment. But it always felt it always felt like it was it was not um, just a, a COVID story. And from the first day I talked to her, it was clear there's so much more here than than that. And it's not surprising that that's what was there for her, because you know these are two lives she knew so deeply, and from you know from her earliest life, these were the two people who had been in it. Mm. But but yeah, I I've, I felt like COVID intersected with these other things. That was just at the heart of it, always. Did you feel some pressure or urgency to make clear that that's where the heart of it was to people who are listening? Because, I mean, part of my experience as a listener was that there have been a seemingly infinite number of COVID stories written and told and how to tell a story within that context and not have it fall into the kind of vastness of that reporting and of people trying to make sense of what's happening. That feels at least to me like quite challenging. It, it almost feels like analogous to um, like writing about uh, climate change. Mm, yeah, Janelle was saying. Like it's just, yeah. it's so big. What's happened over the last three years is so vast, it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around how you tell a story that even if it's not a COVID story is fully within that context. It seems to me like narratively, structurally, it's hard to have people hear in this case, the heart is somewhere else. And this isn't exactly like all of these other things, but maybe maybe I'm wrong about I mean, that. But, but, that was what's something that stuck yeah, out to me. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to overstate it and say that it's not a COVID story. It, of course, it is. I think. Um, I I didn't come to it saying, you know, ah, let us tell, let us tell a story about this thing that is too big to tell. Um, I mean, I, I am not tired of COVID, COVID stories. I will say that, like, and people who were kind of listening to the story who were in, in edits along the way, some of them were like, I just have to tell you, I am tired of COVID stories. Like, that was explicitly something that, that some, some people were bringing to the room. And I, and I was like, you know, I want to hear that. Like, I want to know how this is striking you. And I, I don't think that we... I'm I'm kind of looking at Janelle and see if you agree with me, but I don't think that we that we kind of pulled punches because it's like we're going to lose the people who don't want to hear COVID stories. But I always wanted to hear their notes. It was just that that the you know like the thing in in Rachel's tweets when she talked about her brother and her father that compelled me and you know just from my own life, my own family was having a family member who is unreachable. And who mm-hmm. you never give up trying to reach and also accept some unreachability as just part of your relationship with them while you're constantly trying to get to them and how hard that is and how, yeah, just like a, a lifelong heartbreak that is. 
And I think it, there's so many different kinds of that. There's so many different variations on that. And this was one of those. This was one variation mm -hmm. on that that spoke to me and that felt like this is about COVID, but also it's about this phenomenon that is outside of COVID and that people are are struggling with in ways that predated this moment and, you know, continue past this moment. And these these disconnections, you know, COVID came on top of those. Nobody had their COVID go bag ready. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, there's there's all this writing in the first episode around, like, where did it find you? Where did that moment find you? And when for the two of you, I guess, like, if it's a story of lifelong heartbreak, how do you approach telling that? Uh, with a smile on. I was, I was, I was totally going to make a joke. I was like, with a spring in your step. And, yeah. Um, just yeah, get, get up exactly. and go. Exactly. Put on your comfy shoes. Um, I I don't have I don't have an answer. That might be one of those questions, Max. That might be one of those. I don't know what to say to that. I don't know. I don't know. But I think the story isn't just one of lifelong heartbreak, because yes, Rachel, um, and she's so adamant about that in the face of the reaction she's got to her brother and father's deaths and her grief of the people she's lost and kind of the critical nature that people are coming at her with where they're like, how could you grieve a person who was such a difficult presence in your life? Or you know, even more specifically about this time period, how could you grieve a person who kind of chose that path? Like, they chose it. And she has always really rejected any idea that, like, the dark parts of their life overshadow or define them exclusively. It's not so simple as that. And she's always been really defensive of, you know, both critical and defensive of her brother and father and said that, like, her love for them is big enough to hold all of the bad things and she can love them enough to grieve them despite. And I think the story is also about that. And it's about, you know, this family that fell apart and came back together and fell apart and came back together over the course of decades as a result of many things that weren't COVID. In a lot of ways, the story ends with COVID. It's about everything that happened leading up to it. And COVID just happened to be the thing that they didn't have a chance to come back from. And Rachel is also so funny, so brilliant, so, you know, just kind of engaged in this very fierce way with her life and so she had all of that like you know right she's she's been writing poetry yeah, about mm -hmm. her childhood and her exactly. father and her brother for exactly. years and years and 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 grief you know apart from them like really incredible poems that look hard at this thing in particular did the process with her feel collaborative in a way that was different than other stories you've done. If part of what 
drew you to this was that she was still very much trying to figure out what it meant to her and how to make sense of it. And she was at least in part doing that on tape with the two of you. Did it feel like it was stretching any bounds of journalism to you? Like, did it, did it feel different? Did other stories in that way? I think it, it definitely felt different. But also, I, I feel like journalism is always, is always stretching, stretching the bounds. It's a strange relationship. They're always parts to navigate that are awkward and uncomfortable and yeah where it feels like I don't I'm not 100% sure how I'm proceeding here and then I have a lot of conversations with other people um, including the person I'm, I'm interviewing sometimes um, I think I did feel collaborative in some ways and I would be very curious to hear what Rachel feels about that um but mostly it was collaborative, you know, with her in this very specific way, which was these conversations that we had. And also reading all of her poetry and, you know, watching the movies that she watched with, with her brother and father and and reading The Days of Wine and Roses, reading that play and, and sort of being in these parts of, of her life that she was sharing with me and that she had put out into the world. And so there was that. But also... She was, she had a whole life to live as a, as a person, as a mother, as a writer, as a woman who had, you know, a complicated sort of legal situation with, you know, two people dying and probate and just, she had a life of, you know, of all that to deal with, um, our lights just went out in this studio, and I think it's because we, we wanted you to feel less awkward about how badly lit your studio is, so now we're all in a uh, gloom. There's, 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 nothing you can, there's nothing you can do to make me feel less awkward, but I appreciate the, uh, the attempt. Um, it really feels like you're talking to us from the bathroom of a, of a club. Or like the aquarium <laughs> section of the pet store at night. <laughs> I feel like you guys can just pick whatever whatever version of it you'd like. I can be in a club. I can be in an aquarium. But now, yeah, we're um, in the dark too. No um, fish. Um, but really, you know, the day to day collaboration was mostly with you know with Janelle and with Julie and making it in the way radio stories get get made here, which is a lot of collaboration. I do think like one element of it that was collaborative in a particular way with Rachel, between Rachel and you, is that, you know, and you say this in the show at one point, you're like, we have separate but overlapping missions, you know, and had in mind the ways in which what you were doing was the same and what you were doing was different. But she was very much in a place of wanting to go back and understand how it was that they landed where they did. It is not as though you showed up and you were like, okay, let's start with your childhood. You know, like she was like, the way that I am gonna choose to process this is recount. I'm doing like an accounting of my life with these two people. And I want to tell these stories to people who will listen. And so it felt in some ways, like she was driving, you know, she was sharing what she wanted to share. And that's not to say that, you know, 
I mean, she understood that you weren't just going to hit record and then use everything she said in the order that she said it. it. It wasn't like she was driving like that, but you weren't asking her to go to places necessarily that she wasn't already going to. And so you were documenting the process. Yeah, there's a specific kind of person who responds to that email, right? And that makes sense to me. And the other, the other thing that, you know, just the practicalities of the time that you needed for her to tell the story in the way that you wanted to, like, there's a sort of thank you to her in the credits that felt different to me than you often hear, which was just trying to acknowledge that time, you know, so that's part of where that question comes yeah. from, too. Another version of that, though, is like, do you two feel close to her? Let me let me say this, which is I feel a little I feel a little uncomfortable talking as much as we are about my relationship with her without her weighing in. Hmm. Um, we. It's funny. Uh, um, as I was working on this story, I also did a series of interviews with Jonathan Goldstein for a podcast called Heavyweight that is a great podcast. If people haven't heard it, it's really worth listening to. And I did those interviews because <laughs> my my husband came to me and said, do you remember when we were on our very first date and that woman at the next table took a picture of us. I want that picture. And I knew what that meant. That was actually a big complicated thing, more for him than for me. And I was surprised that he wanted to kind of do that. We're both a little bit private. But if he wanted to, I said, sure, I'm in. So we did these interviews um, with Jonathan and with Stevie Lane, one of his producers, wonderful, fantastic, both of them. And, you know, I haven't done a, a personal story like that. And I haven't kind of put that personal story in somebody else's hands before. And it was very strange to know that that was being made while I was doing this very personal story about someone else. And sometimes I would have these these little kind of feelings of worry, like, oh, my God, what did I tell them? Like, how many times did I mm -hmm. say fuck? So many. It, just probably. so many. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So, so many. Um, and, you know, and just like whatever dumb other things that were, you know, my own anxiety of, yeah, did I say this? Did I say that? Um but also the conversations with them, I felt like I'm interested in the things that you're asking me. <laughs> and sure, I will answer that. And I want to, I, I want to talk about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm ready to, to let that be something you have also. And they, it was a very, it was not, I would not call the process collaborative, <laughs> but I did feel like this is frightening and that's good to know how frightening this feels. Mm -hmm. And that's good to be feeling right now. Like that fear is is an important fear to keep in mind. 
I also felt like I am ready to just kind of trust them, even though it was not collaborative in any real, like they weren't sort of giving me cut. There was nothing like that. Like we had convers, it was, did interviews and then they made a thing. There was one part that they were like, we want to use this. You said you weren't sure if it would be okay with you. We want to come back to you and say, we do want to use this. Did you let them? We did. Yeah. I, I listened and I let my husband, like I played it for him and I was like, let's talk about this and see what you think. And we said yes, but that was, it was on my mind the whole time because it came out only like yeah. a week, I think before. And um, I have no idea like how, how did Jonathan and Stevie perceive those conversations? What did they, how would they talk about like what they thought it was or what our relationship is? I don't know. And I know what I think about the conversations that Rachel and I were having and um, but we never talked about, like, what is our relationship? Or, like, do you trust me? Like, there was no... It, it, it just... I don't want to say more about, like, you know, what is this relationship? Or, you know, what do you think this was like without hearing from her? Because, <laughs> I don't know, hearing one person talk about a relationship is like, maybe. What about the other one? <laughs> You're so powerful. I don't here. know. You know? I don't know. I don't know. Did you ever get the sense that she was, like, fearful or nervous? She never seemed it in tape, but I'm curious. I think she has a she has a very, you know, strong sense of of herself and her power in the world and her, and her power as a as a writer that she has she's written her own story and will continue to write her own story, you know outside of this beyond this and that's what I felt and I did not feel that she was fearful I felt like sometimes she was like I don't fucking have time for this because I got this other stuff going on (laughs) and I was like I hear you and I'm sorry to be calling you and I will text you tomorrow and see if it's a better day to talk I hear all that I will do my best to not ask you questions on Rachel's behalf in a funny twist, I think Jonathan's coming on oh, this yeah? show soon, so we actually can have the experience of getting the uh, <laughs> yeah, the other side of it. Side. Ask him, um, ask him what they were saying about Nancy. <laughs> like, what did you think our yeah, totally. relationship what do you, was? What do, you, do you think Nancy thought you guys were close? Um, but I have to tell you, that seems like a very interesting experience you had being the subject of a thing for the first time while you're making something like this. And I wonder whether those moments of worry or fear led to any choices whether it was what was in the show or how you approached it like did that actually have an impact or just like lose you some hours to sleep I mean not in a sort of one-to-one way at all I think it was more just helped keep in the front of my mind you know I want to I want to get things right as much as I can I want to I want to I want to represent what I think is is our truths here, and I certainly certainly do not want to characterize things that she thinks without knowing that that's what she thinks. <laughs> it just sharpened the sort of the sense of like, let's make sure of this, and I hope that is how she feels. Do you think that's connected in any way to ending the show with her own words? 
the show ends with a with a poem of hers. You know, I it wasn't that I feel like that has to happen because I just thought it was beautiful and it was what I wanted to hear there. I mean, I I felt like it was it had a rightness in that way too, but really I just I just loved it. I mean, she reads it so beautifully and she really she's does. she yeah, she's such a great reader of her own work. Janelle, you were smiling while I asked that question. Why were you smiling? Well, I was just smiling because that was a moment in which I think Rachel was totally reading your moves. Ah, right. She, you were like, <laughs> will you read this? And she read it in this totally beautiful way. And then there was like a very rich pause. And then she was like, you little asshole. Like, <laughs> I know why you made me do that. She did. She did. She laughed. She laughed. I think she called me a little dick. She's little like, dick. You little dick. I know why you did that. Which I thought was very funny. And and I had, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure. It wasn't like, I know exactly what everything is going to be in this story, but that is one of you know many of her poems that has just stayed in my head and that I knew I wanted her to read. Support for Long Form This Week comes from listening. If you find yourself behind the eight ball needing to read a bunch of academic papers or journals or any kind of dense reading material... You might make your life a lot easier by checking out listening. It takes anything, articles, books, PDFs, and turns the text into spoken word that you can absorb no matter what you're doing. The app has a lifelike AI voices complete with emotion and intonation that creates a realistic and pleasant listening experience. So I had to go into the city for some meetings. I needed to review some PDFs. Threw them in there, listened to them on the way. It was both pleasant and I kind of forgot that I wasn't like listening to a professionally done audiobook or something. Like very quickly, the voices sounded totally natural and human to me. This listening app might just transform how you consume reading material and you can give it a shot yourself risk free. Now, normally you get a two week free trial, but listeners of long form get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use the code longform at checkout listening. Your life just got a lot easier. Can I ask you some um, some other structural questions about the show? Yes. Mm-hmm. One structural question I have is, I think, I could be wrong, I think this is the first time that we have had both the host of a series like this and the producer of a series like this on the show. And there may be some people listening who wouldn't know how those like roles break down. Can you walk me through how you two work together on the show? Sure. I mean, we can talk about the nuts and bolts, but I want to say just as a blanket statement that I think Janelle got this story right from the beginning and has just been like a keeper of the feel of it the whole way and has been open to many different writings <laughs> <laughs> that um, some of which did not make it into the show, but that were part of getting to where the show did get to that I always appreciated, always loved, and that made made the making of this just feel is really special. Um, 
I'm not used to working with a producer um, from the olden days of This American Life when everyone's title was producer and everybody just kind of did everything. It was like, you know, everybody's reporting and editing and producing. And so, and I've also been like living elsewhere and reporting from elsewhere. So I'm kind of more used to being on my own. And um, it has just been a real pleasure to work with you. Oh, that's so nice. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that's one of the first conversations that we had. You were like, I've never had a producer before. (laughs) And I was like, hello. (laughs) And (laughs) I wasn't sure I would like it. I know. I could tell. I was like, well, I'm here. (laughs) I don't know about you. What's your angle here? Help. (laughs) Support. Help. (laughs) Interest. (laughs) Yeah, well. Yeah. But it was also true for me that I had never worked with someone who, like, very much does not need me. (laughs) Like, has done the whole thing (laughs) yourself. Don't go too far. (laughs) For years and years and years. (laughs) Like, I'm used to working with people who are newer to audio, even if they have been writing for and reporting for a long time. So I think every host-producer relationship is different. And this one, I think, was new for both of us. So there definitely was a a minute at the beginning where we're like, what is this? Which maybe is good because (laughs) there was some talk about that, which I think there isn't always. How did those conversations go? So I started at Serial at the end of January. And so I was entering a project that was in its anthology form. And I was onboarding to, like, everything that had happened before I got there. Uh And our initial meetings were very much, like, because the anthology show was about, you know, stories that pique your curiosity. I was like, well, I'm going to have to try to understand Nancy's curiosity, (laughs) so I guess I'm going to have to ask her some questions. And so (laughs) we did a lot of that. And I would send you emails that were like, I have a thought about uh, fear. (laughs) (laughs) I I have another thought about gawking at things. Right, right. And like you have the time you wouldn't respond to me. Oh my god, is that true? Is that true? Oh my god. But, I'm but, so but sorry. Oh, that's so that sounds so, so welcoming. Sorry. No, no, she was very was it welcoming. On Slack? I'm not always She's, good on no, Slack. I, as you I know. learned that early. No, they they were emails. But but we would have good conversations about them later. Like okay, we would get okay. on the phone and you and like some of that stuff I think is like I don't know, it was just a lot of really open-ended conversations in a more editorial way. Yeah. I think that my role on this show more so than I am used to because Nancy is very like technically capable and knows how to record herself and knows how to like pull tape my role almost was like producer light and editor light like Mm. I kind of straddled both of those worlds yeah you were you were kind of the first editor a lot of talking through sections playing tape for you talking through ideas it was very helpful and it was very much like okay this is good this is good this is this is um I know, I know. I, I'm. I'm <laughs> there, there was, I don't know why there was such a battle in my head. I don't know. I don't know. I just, you know, it takes a while to get used to new people too. You know, <laughs> like a new person, a whole new person. He's persistently totally. sending you emails. 
I can't believe I didn't write back. You did. You did like half of the time. I would say maybe even 70%. I'm sorry about the 30%. Maybe it's because I knew we were going to talk later. Yeah. No, it didn't make me feel bad. Okay. It didn't make me feel that bad. All right. (laughs) I feel like people listening should know that Nancy's been burying her head in her hands for the last like four minutes well, so but, having somebody um, tell you in a recorded interview like oh and then you didn't you didn't write back to my email where i was like putting ideas out there that's that's no. not cool that's not the that's not the person my mother raised me to be i very much felt like my ideas were welcome and wanted good okay all right do you guys feel close now <laughs> yeah yeah do you remember the song that julie sang at karaoke <laughs> I, I'm not sure I do. Which what did she sing? I remember the dedication. Oh, oh she dedicated it to us. Yeah, she was like, yeah. "It's about their relationship. They never fight." <laughs> oh, God. What was the song? What was that, the song? I can't remember. I can't remember. We can ask. It's possible there was drinking. <laughs> All right, I got some more structural questions. Okay. I'm I'm really glad that things have worked out for the <laughs> two of you, though. All right, so here's one: three episodes. That feels pretty non-standard to me. Nice White Parents was five. I couldn't think of a lot of three-episode standalone series. What was the story with the length, and, and how did you guys think about that? I I don't think anything in podcasting is standard, which is part of what is interesting about it. But having said that, it's not that we decided on three episodes to try a new thing. It just felt like this is the length it's going to take to tell this story the way we want to tell it. And I think that's a position I'm I'm used to working on those terms with Julie Snyder. Like, what is the length that this needs to be the thing that we think it should be? And sometimes that changes over the course of making it. Was this always three? It wasn't always going to be a series. In the beginning, it was just, you know, going to be one story in this in this other thing. I think once once we thought of it as a series, we were thinking in terms of three episodes. Mm-hmm. There was like a maybe four period. Ah, there was a maybe four period. Mm, the maybe four era. I forgot yeah. about the maybe four. Yeah, it's forgettable. <laughs> but I do think that the ability to make the show the shape that we felt was best for the story is just something I feel so grateful for I think like yes there's nothing in podcasting that is standard but there are ways in which stories get morphed if you're you know doing a standalone series and you're trying to make it sustainable and self-supporting from an ad perspective you have to make it a certain number of episodes and there are these pressures and we were really lucky to not have them and so we didn't really have to think about length other than what we felt was best for the story yeah i mean it it, it's funny i've been re-watching er because it's on HBO, and this will tie back to what you said, I swear. <laughs> and um, seeing something from network television now, after just you know years and years of cable and streaming, and you know, just it's fascinating. And I love DR. The early seasons, I think, are so good. It kind of goes off the rails, but I think it goes off the rails partly because in American television, the pressure to keep going is 
Right. They had to make right. 26 episodes right. in season eight or right. whatever. Yeah. And, you know, going past a certain number of years, you have to do that. And not everything has that has that much juice in it. And I don't know, something that I like very much about British television is that some things are just short and they're short because they're done. Like the British office is two seasons. And I think it's great to be able to do that. Well, the other thing that the length made me think about was, I uh, I take the point that nothing is standard, but I can't think of a lot of podcasts of this length in which there are so few voices. Mm. Like, yeah, it's just you and Rachel and Sandy until th- well, it's but Sandy isn't there until the middle of three. Right. Um, beginning of well, close to the beginning of three. Yeah. First third of three, like uh, for the first two episodes, for the first yeah. hour and twenty minutes, mm-hmm. it's two voices. And again, I'm not trying to argue that there are standards, but yeah. that felt different to me. Yeah. And so I, I'm uh, I'm interested in that choice, or, or or if it felt like one, you know. Some people wouldn't talk to us, who would have been voices in the show. I think that was the reality we were working with. And also, this was a small family, and it's about this small family. And Rachel is um, so good at talking about her life, and it's a weird compliment. But some people, they're not thinking of their life in, in stories. Like, she was a storyteller from a young age. As, as a kid, she was writing stories. And so she just had an eye and has an eye. And I think that also made it possible that she's as good as she is. And it's also true about the first episode, where there are voices in the sense that there's the text record from Peter mm-hmm. You're not hearing him read the text, but you're hearing his language, his his speech. And there was some conversation about how to handle those in the show, whether you should get someone to read them. But that didn't feel right. And it was kind of a short-lived idea. And we were like, it feels better to just have Nancy read them. And then she did it so well that it just worked. I mean, it was a monster of an episode to track because it was like 30 pages of just you. Um, yeah. But I felt as though he was there in some way. And similarly, in the last episode, when Rachel, uh, you and Rachel go to the house and you discover the financial documents, it always hit me and I hope it felt meaningful to listeners too to hear the letter written in the father's words because you're it, it's just like you're finally hearing from him in some kind of a way totally i think that moment absolutely hits in that way and in a way it's like you don't even realize that you haven't heard from him mm-hmm. yet you think you have and then that letter comes and it's so clear that you haven't mm-hmm. you know yeah that makes sense to me I actually looked at like the transcripts on the New York Times website oh, just to like those. get a sense of. I should check those because well, sometimes they're like mistakes baked. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I'm not trying to add work for you. They all looked pretty good to me. But mostly, what I was looking at was just the 
the huge blocks of you, Nancy. Like they're, you know, I've, I've looked at a fair number of podcast scripts in my day and, and it was a lot of tracking. It was a lot of narration. I also got to ask about your process of writing because there are some lines in this show that just knocked me over. Oh, thanks. There's one early and one where the family had been far away from each other. You say, but far away is still somewhere. It's nothing like gone. Where's that line come from? Can you can you recreate any part of that process? Like, how, how do you approach that kind of writing, particularly on a show like this, where it needs it to work? You know, you need to be doing some of this context that Rachel can't do for what lifelong heartbreak sounds like, you know? I think, so I was working on the show, obviously it was still like COVID. When I interviewed Rachel, it was it was December of 2021 and there was a, a Delta surge and this new thing called Omicron was on the horizon. And um, I, I wasn't prepared. I hadn't left anything in my personal tank to absorb Omicron, like a new strain when it came along. Obviously, I needed to pace myself much better. Hmm. <laughs> but I think writing this, working on this while being kind of shut in and feeling um, feeling real, real despair about not just COVID, but lots of things, you know, big things and small things. I mean, it was a way to to focus just feelings of intense sadness and of my own and so many questions of my own. Anyway, they're, le- they're, they're existential answers and then there's just sort of nuts and bolts answers. I'm interested in both. So, well, so the, so, so yeah, I think it, I think it, I think it was a place to put a lot of, a lot of sadness and, um, My uncle died in the beginning of COVID so early, you know, they weren't testing. We don't know if it was COVID, seems likely, given his symptoms, but we don't know. My mother's last conversation with him was, like, through a glass door. She's not even sure he could see her or knew it was her. And it just, you know, it was just like a thing that we had to kind of take in and then you know all keep going with no you know with no funeral like so many people there was there was no moment yeah you know we had a little gathering at at, at his grave but mostly we were we were there kind of just just stunned and we you know just stood around six feet apart <laughs> like feeling like what is happening what is happening in the world so it was a it was a place to put all of that and you know plenty of other stuff and then i was working with people who with janelle and with julie snyder whom i've known for 25 years i think at this point and have worked with that whole time and i trust her as an editor completely and i felt like you know both she and janelle were ready for me to just like just write this and i got up early in the morning every morning and just wrote this like every morning this was on my mind and this was where my energy was going 
And I felt like I was working with people who were also ready to kind of receive all of that and help me make it into something. I'm so sorry about your uncle. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did that writing come easily? Did it come more easily than other writing has? Well, I don't know, dude. <laughs> there was a lot of writing and rewriting and and some stuff that's there was there, you know, from the beginning and some stuff came later. Um, it didn't, it, it felt like I, I know what I want to say. So it was easier than, than other stories in that way and then harder <laughs> other ways. Yeah. It's interesting to hear you say that you knew what you wanted to say and that what drew you both to the story was being able to be present while someone figured out what they thought about that moment. That figuring out thing, at least in my experience, like it doesn't totally have like a um, end date mm. on it. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't just stop. How did you know when this was done? <laughs> when the deadline <laughs> came. <laughs> there is a deadline. There is a deadline. We finished this at one in the morning the night before. And Janelle was, was also like just very, you know, she was like, here's what we're doing here's here's the pace and sometimes when it when I couldn't get something done in time I would be like hello (laughs) (laughs) could could somebody get another couple of days if a person needed that asking for a friend and I tried to do that as little as possible because I I you know I knew that you you were privy to all of the information about why it needs to happen on this pace and um it wasn't like I'm done now what? Now what do we do with the next three weeks? Like, you know, we were just working on it until the end. I also do think that, you know, it's going back to the idea that, like, the story ends with COVID a bit. Mm. And so it starts with COVID. It goes back to the beginning of the family. It follows their trajectory. And it ends you know, with Rachel kind of learning how to take next steps or figure out what she needs to do with her own life. And I think, I don't know, it didn't feel like there was a temptation to linger in that. Mm. It felt like the questions that we were asking from episode to episode, they're all pretty closely related. You know, it's not like episode one is about this and then episode two is about this and episode three. They're all really united by like, you know, what lives did COVID land in? Mm-hmm. What happened here? Mm-hmm. How do we make sense of this? I think that was one of the reasons to do it short. You know, you can't mm-hmm. continue to ask those questions at the end of episode six. <laughs> Still be like, so what really right. happened here? You know, it just, yeah. it doesn't work. Also in part because you can be making sense or trying to make sense of what happened 
Forever. Forever, yeah. which many people yeah. will be, you yeah. know, which which she yeah. which she will be. And you know? I like yeah. There's no end. There's no end. One of the the um, I I read some tweets about the show. <laughs> Thank God, because I not like tried a ton. Not to. I'm yeah, not a okay. I'm not a tweeter. Twitter. But I one of the ones that I think made like it was like kind of a criticism of the show, but it like meant a lot to me. I'm like taking it as I want to take it. Is spirit. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This woman said, I got to the end of the series. We were three and it felt like there was no ending. Like it felt like there was no solution here. And then she was like, but it made me realize that like I want a solution I want to know what to do. And I think that makes me feel satisfied about the ending because the ending, it's not prescriptive. It's not solutions oriented. It's its the kind of ending that like, it's gonna, my hope is that it lingers for people and kind of nags at them. You know, it's not wrapped up. Mm. So wait, when you said, how did you how did you end it or how did you know it was in it? Did you mean the process or did you mean the, the story? Because I answered the process and you answered the story and maybe the, your question was about the story. We both heard the question how we won. <laughs> That's why you're a good team, you know. <laughs> Nancy, Janelle, thank you for doing this. Thanks for having us, Max. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Gabriella Saldivia edited this episode. Thanks to her. Thanks to Megan Valley, who handled the show notes. Thanks to Nancy for coming on the show, talking about We Were Three. But thanks most of all to Janelle Pfeiffer, not just for that interview, but for the years and years of editing that she did on the Longform podcast. This show would not be this show without Janelle and while you heard her name for years in the credits I really can't convey how meaningful a part of this she was and is we'll see you next week support for long form this week came from listening listening makes it easy to convert written text to pleasant audio tracks you can take in no matter what you're doing It offers AI voices that manage to express emotion and correctly pronounce complicated technical terms, all while sounding like actual human beings, not robots. The listening app might just transform how you consume reading material, and you can give it a shot for yourself risk-free. Normally, you'd get a two-week free trial, but listeners of Longform get a whole month free. Go to listening.com slash longform or use code longform at checkout listening. Your life just got a lot easier.